Good morning, everybody. Well, today is week three of our series, He Said What? And if you've uh, missed any of these, the, the, the idea behind it is just going back and looking at some of the things that God has said and, and kind of revisiting them and saying, He said what? You know, because sometimes we can read over a passage or some verses and we just, it doesn't click like it does at other times, right? You know, then another time you'll go back and you'll read it and you say, oh, that's what he said. That's what he meant. And so, you know, the, the word is so alive that it's so real in our lives that we need to go back and read things over and over because he's going to speak to you at different times in your life through the same verse in different ways, if that makes sense. And so we have to be prepared that when we say he, he said what, we, we got to go back and look at it, study it, really know what he said in his word. And so a lot of times we look, we've been, lately been looking at some of the parables, and we're going to be looking at, uh, in Luke 15 today, some of the parables of Jesus, and kind of get an idea of what he was saying there, because there's a great theme that God is talking about in Luke 15 that is really important, and uh, we need to get a grasp on it. Like, what is he really saying here? Is he really talking to me in the Word of God? Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever sat there and go, you know, I know the word is great. I know I read it sometimes, but is he, is he really saying something to me? Are you guys supposed to be released? No. Okay. <laughs> I saw you sitting there. I'm like, oh, no. And we have to ask ourselves, is this word for me? Do you ever have that question for you? Is this really for me? Is church for me? Is this hanging out with these Christians? Is worshiping for me? Is, is, is raising hands for me? Is praying for me? If you've never asked yourself that, I'd be surprised because I ask myself that we all do we all have these doubts that says you know what I'm just not sure that this is for me I'm not sure that I understand what's really going on here and when we get there that's okay do you understand it's okay to be there it's okay to wonder about those things if you didn't have doubts you wouldn't be human and so we have to understand that sometimes we have to take a fresh look at it as we're doing today and saying, you know what? I didn't see it this way before, but this is for me. God is talking to me here. I can see how this word, this parable, has affected different times of my life. And today I receive that word for me. That's my prayer for you today, is that you say, this word is for me today. Individually. So we're, corporately we're, we're getting a word today, but individually you're getting a revelation today. Amen? That's what I believe. So if you got your Bibles out, go to Luke 15. We'll start in, in verse 1. Luke 15. And so in, in Luke 15, you've got a series of three parables here. It starts off with the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son, which is the prodigal son. And we probably know Luke 15 best by the prodigal son. When we think about Luke 15, we, we automatically go to, oh, that's the prodigal son. We know the prodigal son story. We've heard it before. We've talked about it. You've probably heard it preached many, many times from different angles and different looks and all these things. But if you don't take the whole chapter in one, because I was about to do that. I was studying for this word, and I was, I was concentrated on the prodigal son, and I was just going to stay there. And then I looked a little farther up, and I saw two more parables that actually need to be told before you get to the prodigal son. I didn't realize that there was something setting up the prodigal son. It was an order of progression there that missed, gives, gives, doesn't get the fullness of the word. And so in Luke 15, we start, and it says in verse 1, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen 
to teach, uh, listen to teach, to Jesus teach, excuse me. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with, with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. Here he goes with the parable. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. So imagine that. He, there's a hundred in this picture here. And one gets lost. Just one. You got a hundred that got it right. But one has missed the mark and gets strayed away. So Jesus, knowing that the other 99 are okay, goes after the one. And that, and that seems odd, doesn't it? It seems like you leave the 99, you seem like you would take care of the mass before you go after the one. You would take care of the group before you go after the individual. And that's not how Jesus works. So Jesus says, you know what? I got to go after this one because he is lost. If I find this one, he will not come back to me. He will stay lost. So not only does he go and find the sheep, but he doesn't even just lead it back. Jesus takes the sheep and puts it on his shoulders. And I meant to look this up. How much do sheep weigh in full grown? But I guarantee it's probably well over 100 pounds. I imagine. Bigger than a dog, you'd think. So it wasn't easy. It wasn't some light thing he did. He threw 100, you know, 100 and something pounds on his shoulder and went back. Doesn't say how far, but he had to go a ways to get back to the 99 that were okay. If you're one in 100, Jesus is coming after you today. We sometimes feel that, no, I'm just in a crowd. I, sometimes you can feel safe in a crowd. You're like, I'm just one in a bunch of numbers. I melt into the crowd. I'm, I, I can just disappear, and nobody will pay attention to me. And Jesus today is saying, no, I'm coming after you. So he goes back, and he says until he finds it. When he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So we see there, I want you to kind of just think about that for a minute as we go on to the next one and start putting these together as we go. So the next one is the lost coin, and we start off in verse, uh, verse 8. And it says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she would call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So we go from one, or 100, and Jesus goes after the one. And now he gives a parable there's only 10. The number has decreased. There's fewer but only one is lost once again. She has the ten, she has the nine, but she lost the one. And her concentration doesn't stay on the nine, but goes to the one. So she does whatever she can to go after the one that's lost. And so joyful is she when she finds it. Doesn't, she doesn't celebrate by herself. She calls in the friends and the neighbors and says, rejoice with me, I found the one. And once again, at the end of the parable, he says, there is more rejoicing in heaven when only one sinner repents than the 99 that haven't, or the, or, the, or the nine that are not lost. So once again, we see that in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. 
God is interested in you, the one. He is interested in finding that is, that is lost, that is straight away, that is that's not safe anymore. And God is not interested, and I hate to say it, I don't want to say it like this. God has an interest in everybody, obviously. But when one strays away, his attention is drawn in that way. Whether it's 100 we see in the first parable, whether it's 10, it doesn't matter the numbers we're seeing here, but we're seeing a progression of things. So we finally get to the parable of the lost son. And Jesus, uh, it says here, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, this wasn't too uncommon at the time. At times, uh, uh, um, those that were to receive an inheritance could possibly ask for their inheritance prior to the death of, of the, uh, the father. But that inheritance would get divided uh, among his, uh, um, among his, uh, his children. But it's, the majority of the time was that they would wait until the father had died, and then they would receive their inheritance. Nowadays, we don't get an inheritance while somebody's alive. I mean, I suppose they could pass on your inheritance to you if you've got a trust fund or something like that, but I don't know if you're a, a trust fund baby. I, don't, <laughs> I have not uh, that, that fortunate, but, um, but most of the time, we wait until somebody has died before we go asking them for their money. Can you imagine going to your, your, uh, your, one of your family members and saying, hey, I know you hadn't died yet, but uh, can you go ahead and give me my money because I got some partying to go do. I want to go to a faraway country and waste it all. You're just not going to do that, right? You're at least going to have the courtesy to wait till they die, then go do your thing. But in this case, this guy was so eager to go out and be a part of the world. Now, imagine this. Now, as we go farther in the story, you'll see more of this. But this guy had grown up in a good family. He had grown up being raised right by a righteous father, knowing right from wrong. He had a brother that uh, was obviously a good brother. But at some point, he decided this isn't good enough for me. I'm not getting what I need here. I've got to go out and find my own way. I hear it so often today that people will say, you know what, I've got to go find myself. I don't know who I am. And that's a question that a lot of people ask. And they go off and they go try to find themselves. And I'm telling you today, if you ever want to find yourself, you need to find it in what the Word of God says about you. Because you can run off and waste a lot of inheritance and go through a lot of trouble just to find out that who you were was back at the Father's house, who you had been told who you were since you were being raised up. So in verse 13, it says, A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded the local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, and this is great here because he goes off and he's doing his thing, and, and at first he had some money, right? At first he had some, some ability to go out there and do this wild living, and he was wasting it, and, you see, and even farther on the story, it kind of gives you a little bit more hint of what he was wasting it on. But he was wasting on this wild living. But eventually, the worldly part ran out. Eventually, he came to the end of himself. But even then, 
when the money ran out, he didn't get it quite. God had to take him down and allow him to go down to the lowest of lows. And so he got to the place where he was feeding with the pigs, eating what they ate. And he got to a place where he finally had to come to his own senses. You understand, sometimes people can tell you you're wrong as much as they, the wind in their mouth can come out. They can tell you over and over and over again what you should be doing. But until you come to your own senses, until you come to the end of yourself, you will not understand that you need the Father more than you need the wild living. You, you, you won't understand it. You'll just think, no, I can figure this thing out. I can get my way out of it. I can, I can do these things. But he says he came to his senses. And when you think about that, he, I, what I, he finally remembered what he had back home. At home, even the hired servants have, have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I would go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. He was willing to do anything to get back in the father's house. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off. So imagine this. You got the, the family estate there. And the family estate, obviously, was probably part of a community, a part of a town. And it says while he was a long ways off. So he hadn't gotten back home yet. He wasn't probably even on the property yet. He was a ways off. You gotta, to get this story, you really got to kind of picture this. It says, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. So the father, waiting on his son for these years, waiting on his son to come to his senses. Because see, the father could have ran after him and drug him out of his mess. But the father knew enough to say he needs to come to his own senses. He needs to get in his own place where he realizes what's going on. But he waited for him. He waited on that porch day in and day out, watching for his son. And finally, a long ways off, he sees his son. And his father saw him come filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. There is a repentant spirit in this son. He's not just running back and going, hey, dad, I ran out of money. Can you give me another loan? He's not going, hey, I, I need to head back out. I got some things going on. He's saying, I have come to the end of myself. There's nothing left for me. I've sinned not only against you, but against heaven. And his father is filled with compassion. His father is not sitting there and saying, son, what did you? You can imagine if he would have been like, you know what, son? No, you made your own bed. You got to go lay in it. You made this mess. I can't believe you went off and did this stuff. I can't believe that you keep messing up time and time again. I gave you your money when you asked for it. I, I told you that if this thing's going to happen. I, I, I was going to tell you these things were going to happen, but you did it anyway. He had full right to do that, right? His, his son just wasted his entire fortune. At least his part of the fortune. But his father was filled with love and compassion. And he says, here it says, But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on, his, and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. So three things the father calls for. First thing, robe. Can you imagine how filthy his son is? He's been in with the pigs and the slop and the mess, and he's just finally made his way home, and his father sees this mess. And he says, 
go get some good clothes for my son. The finest robe. Not go get some rags for him to put on. Go get the finest robe and put on him. And he says, and he says that the second thing he says is, um, and, and get, a thing, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Now, the ring for his finger is very important because that ring is a signet ring. It's a family ring. It has the family's crest on it. When identified, that ring identifies you as part of that family, a full rights member of that family. So quickly, the father says, my son has been uh, out, and he needs to be restored. He needs to be brought back into the fold. He needs to be reminded who he is and who he belongs to. Get the ring, put it on his finger so the family crest is on him, and everybody in town can now realize that this, once again, is my son. You understand, when he came walking from a far ways away, and, and imagine a small community like they had back in those days, everybody in town knew what happened with that son. There wasn't a secret that, hey, I wonder what happened to Joe's son. No, everybody in town knew what happened to that son. Everybody knew that he ran off, did his own thing, wild living. Can you imagine the gossip and everything that went on about that town? So why did this father run out to him so fast? Why did this father say, you know what, I, I, he could have stayed on the porch and waited until his son got there. The son was already coming, right? But he ran to him and restored him right where he stood with a robe, ring, and sandals. Restored him before he even got to the house. Why is that? Because God knows that we mess up sometimes. And he knows that people tend to judge and point fingers and look at us in ways because they look at us and the things we've done. But God looks at us, the Father looks at us and who we are. And so he ran out there and restored his son as quickly as he could to, to quiet the community, to let the community know, no, this is my son. Y'all need to remember who he belongs to. He restored him on the spot. And, and, and even the town had to look at him and go, the father has, re has forgiven him. The father has restored him. He's full rights into the, into the family again. And he says, And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast. For this son of mine, right there, he claims him right there. For this son of mine was dead and now has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. And so it transitions here. And he says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. Now, it kind of makes me feel bad for the older son here because they started throwing a party. They're having a good time. Nobody went out and got the brother. He was just out in the field working. The only reason he knew about the party is because he heard the music. Can you imagine that? You can understand why he was a little upset, right? He's like, what's going on back at the house? There's a big party there. What the hell? Y'all didn't tell me? Nobody came and got me? So he's already coming up a little bit, uh, a little bit upset, I'm sure. He says the older brother was angry. He wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slayed for you and never once refused to do a single thing you, uh, you, that you told me to do. And all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And there's always going to be jealousy in people when you're restored. Even the ones that are closest to you and think that you think that should support you. There's going to be a, a sense of jealousy you got the robe, you got the ringer, or the ring, the ringer, the ring. You got the sandals. Are you kidding me? Can you believe they did this to this guy? Can you believe that they've given this guy all this stuff? I've been here every day. I've been showing up to church every day for ten years. I've set my seat faithfully. I've served. I go to every outreach. I go to every prayer meeting. I do everything they ask me to do. Can you believe that that new person that walked in? They treated that special. Can you believe that? 
That guy was out in the world just two days ago. Here, I've been here for 10 years. I'm not treated special. We think that way sometimes, don't we? Isn't that sad? Somebody will come in and give their life to Jesus, and we see them given a, a great amount of attention, and a little bit of jealousy tends to rise up sometimes. I can't believe the favor that guy's getting. I can't believe she's being treated that, that fair. Don't they know what she's been doing? Don't they know where she's been? And so even there, the, the father has to restore the, the son once again. And he says, And all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, see, the father said this son of mine, right? When he restored him, he said, This son of mine has returned. The, the brother is saying, This son of yours. He hasn't taken credit for him yet or taken possession of, of that his brother is coming back. He's still going, That's that son of yours. But the father said, the son of mine. Lost my place here. Uh, it says, yet when this son of yours came back after squandering your money on prostitutes, I told you you'd find out later what he'd been spending his money on, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. <clears throat> his father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. He has to break it down for his son. Look, you've always been mine. Yeah, you've been in church serving faithfully for 10 years. You, you already are his. But sometimes somebody that comes in these doors is dead and is coming back to life. And we need to celebrate that like heaven celebrates all of heaven rejoices when that one sinner repents and comes to his senses and runs to the father and the father sees him a long way off and runs and restores him and puts the family crest back on him and said this son, this son of mine this daughter of mine is back we will rejoice today and all of heaven likewise he has to tell the, the, the other son that this is the way it is he was dead. Your, your brother was dead. Your sister in Christ was dead. Your brother in Christ was dead. But now she is alive. Now he is alive. Let's rejoice and not be jealous. Let's rejoice and not point fingers. Let's remember who they are, not what they did. Because God's always going to tell you who you are, call you by your name, and the devil wants to call you by your sin. Do you understand? He wants to say, no, you're that prostitute-chasing son that went after all this stuff and, and wasted his money. But the father says, no, this is a son of mine. He has my ring on his finger. He has my robe on his shoulders. And he has my sandal on his feet. He is who I say he is. Do you see the restoration there? Do you see, like, if you're sitting there today and you're going, yeah, you just don't understand, I've done so much stuff in my life. There's things that people don't even know about that I've done in my life. And you know that you know that people are always going to call you by the things you've done. That's that person that did this or that or missed the, 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 the ball there. And you've always thought that way. You've always believed that you'll always be the things that you've done. That that'll be your lot in life. It's because you've done too much and gone too far into the enemy's camp to ever be called a daughter of the Most High or a son of the Most High. Today the Father is saying, I don't care if there's a hundred, I don't care if there's ten, I don't care if it's just went to you and your brother, I am coming after you because you are my son, you're my daughter. And 
Today you're restored. You understand? Today all things have passed away. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. You've got to grab onto this. What he's saying there, these parables aren't just three different parables. They all connect together. One hundred, ten, two. And he says, no matter what, it's all about you. It's all it's about you. It's just you. He's narrowed it down. Started at a hundred, narrows it down some more, goes to ten, then he goes down to two, until he gets to just you. Just you. So where you're sitting today, whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever got your feet to move and gets you in this seat today, it is about you. I am preaching to you. God is speaking to you, not the hundred, not the ten, not the two, to you. And he's saying, come back. And you're saying, I've already been here. I'm good. And God's saying, come back farther. Give me more. Maybe you've already been restored. You've got the robe. You've got the ring. You've got the sandals. But maybe you've got to remember that sometimes we're like Jesus. Do you understand? He's saying, like, hey, this is the way I am. If you want to be Christ-like, then you've got to be the one that goes after the one in a hundred. You've got to be the one that goes after one in the ten. You've got to be the one that, that decides between the two who needs to have the attention that day. And you've got to run with everything you have to restore the lost. To go after the hurting, the, 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 the ones that need healing and, and restoration, and that they've been in depression, they've been in, in, anxious about all things in their life, and you've got to be the one that goes there as the representative of Jesus. So maybe you've got the robe and the, the ringer and the sandals on you, but this is the story for you because you've got to remember what your job is as a Christian. You're already a son of the Most High. You're already a daughter of the Most High. You already have this assignment. And this three parables, which really are one in three different ways, speaking the same thing, is for you today. When you leave out of here, you've got a new assignment. Look for the lost. No matter how many are in the crowd, look for the hurting. Look for the ones that need restoration. And maybe you're the one that Maybe you used to have the robe and the ring and the sandals, but you've shucked those off at some point, and you've walked away just a little bit. Maybe not as far as the prodigal son went. Maybe not as far as some people go. But in your heart, and this is speaking to some in here, in your heart, you have stepped away a little bit. In your heart, you have not been giving God, the Father, your best. You have not given Him your whole heart. And on a daily basis, you wake up, and you give more of your heart to your job and to your circumstances and to your, to your hobbies and the things you like to do. You give more of yourself to that than you do to God each day. We all fall into that trap, right? We're all a little bit of the prodigal son, right? We've either been there, done that, or we've stepped a little into that. But no matter what it is, God is saying, no, today is about you. Today is about you to grasp this thing. And if maybe you've just set the robe and the, the ring and the, and the sandals down a little bit, it's still close to you, but you're not wearing them. You understand? It, you, nobody knows who you, who you belong to, whose family you're part of, unless you're wearing those things. The son needed those things to be restored back onto him. Today, you may need to have those things restored back on you, fully on you, to know that you are fully clothed like a daughter of the Most High. 
that you are fully clothed like a son of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you belong in this family. You belong in the body of Christ. You belong in that seat you're sitting in. You belong because God says you belong, because God at some point went out and found you. And you didn't know. But also, if you're that one that has never had a robe, that had a ring on finger, that's never even connected yourself to those types of things. And those are symbols. Trust me, those are just symbols of being a, a full member of the body of Christ and the family of Christ. But maybe you've never, ever had those things on you, never even felt that you're part of the family. But I'm telling you today, it's definitely for you. You might as well shrink the room down to just you. That's the way you got to see it. Everybody close your eyes real quick. I, sometimes I like to do things visually. Everybody close your eyes. And just for a moment, just for a moment, realize that you're the only person in this room. And that's not because that's the way Brad is saying it is. I'm telling you that's the way God is saying it is right now. Right in this moment, I'm prophetically telling you that God is seeing just you individually. There's not a soul around you. You're the only person sitting in this room. You have God's full attention right now. He's been looking for you. He's been trying to find you. Or you've been there right beside him, and he's trying to give you the next thing to do. He's trying to show you what the assignment is from here on out. But one way or another, he's whispering in your ear right now, son, daughter, I've been looking for you. I'm glad I found you. And I want you. I want you in my life. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. I want you to jump in both feet. Don't just stand on the sidelines anymore. I want all of you every day of your life. And if you step away for a moment, I will come looking for you. I will carry you on my shoulders. I will rush to you and restore you every day of, the, of your life if that's what it takes. But I am coming for you because you are mine and you belong to me. And know this, that you are more important to God at this moment than anything else in this whole world. There is nothing in all of his creation, in all of the universe, and everything that he designed, everything that he created, that is more important than you today. Just you. Because whether you're a one in a hundred, or one in ten, or one of two, God says, this today is about you, and I am after you fully today.